0: Okay, Acts chapter 20. Acts 20. I probably should have told you Casey's at home sick today as well. And the reason I tell you that is because uh, we that means Mimi me, me and Grumpy have Skylar and Riley. And this week, Skylar has found her voice. So you're going to probably hear that today. You just have to ignore the competition between her and me. Acts chapter 20. You know, we were in Acts chronologically, what we're doing, we were in Acts for a long time, and then we got to that place. Where Paul had traveled, you know, there were multiple travels, obviously, in this third missionary journey, and but he had traveled back to Corinth, and he had spent three months in Corinth, and that's when he wrote uh, the book of Romans. And in writing the book of Romans, which is where we've been studying recently, in finishing that, we go back to Acts and pick up there where he is, well, actually, in the beginning of chapter 20 is where he is in Corinth, and then we'll see him begin to journey on. And there's some significant events that are about to happen But I want to to help you chronologically with a few pieces before we start reading. You know that one of the significant things that's been happening on this journey is that uh, there's this prophecy about what's going to happen in Judea, around Jerusalem, where it's primarily Jewish Christians. And what's going to happen is they're going to have a, a, a drought, a famine situation. And so they're going to be in significant need because they're They're already suffering, right? The Christians in Judea are already losing family, losing jobs, things like that because of their becoming Christians. So they're already struggling. And now when this comes on top of it, it's going to be incredibly challenging. And so as Paul has journeyed to this, again, the church in Corinth, uh, to the churches in Galatia, part of what has happened is uh, these, these churches that were both Jew and Gentile but primarily Gentiles had started gathering together these funds... ...that were going to be collected by Paul as he traveled through... ...and then he and others. There were several that were going to go. It was a matter of accountability. But uh, they were going to take all these funds and, and take them back to Jerusalem... To, uh, ...to deal with the situation with the saints that are suffering there. And as we went through the book of Romans, what you saw is he had a plan. His plan was to complete this task with the others of taking uh, this, this funding back to Jerusalem... And then after that, his plan was to go to Spain. But in order to get to Spain, he was going to journey to Rome, where he wanted to visit, he wanted to pass on miraculous gifts, and then he was expecting that the church in Rome would contribute and help him in his journey so that he would be able to continue on to Spain and, uh, and preach the gospel there. And what he kept talking about was, he didn't like to work in places where the gospel had already been. He, he, he desired to go to places where it had not been so that he could uh, begin this work and then others could build on it. And he said, you know, everything, every, there's no places like that where I am anymore, and so I'm going to continue this journey. Now, that's not going to happen. Uh, I, I don't, this shouldn't be a spoiler because we've studied this before, uh, but that's not going to happen. Once he ends up back in Jerusalem, things are going to start to fall apart He's going to end up uh, arrested. He's going to end up on trial. He's going to have to uh, appeal to Caesar uh, for uh, his life and for a fair trial. And he's going to be on a journey to Rome like he hoped, but different than he hoped, in that he's going to be a prisoner uh, and not make it to Spain. So, but at this place, he still has that, that optimism, the plan, but he knows I don't know whether he's been told or he just expects this is going to happen. I believe God has already told him some of this. He knows, as we go through this chapter today, that he's not coming back. He's not coming back to Ephesus. He's not coming back to these churches where he has he's spent multiple uh, journeys and even extensive amount of time. Ephesus, a long time at Ephesus. So, uh, so he's kind of giving them a. I hate to call it, I don't want to minimize it, but it's kind of like a farewell tour with part of this. And he wants to make sure that he's done everything he can possibly do to have them ready for for what he knows is coming on them. So, as we get into Acts 20, uh, most immediately what happened in Acts chapter 19 is Paul has been in Ephesus. And he was there a very long time. Uh, he had great success, but there was a significant amount of opposition, right? You remember that Ephesus was a place where they had the temple to Diana and there were many many people uh, who were silversmiths in Ephesus who made a tremendous living with these idols to Diana and so as Paul comes in and he preaches the gospel well there's a lot of people that listen and and obey the gospel and as everywhere that he had been that starts to create conflict and so persecution starts to come on those who have obeyed the gospel and there's a public cry and a mob and if you, if you remember reading through the chapter, it gets to the place where finally somebody steps up and says, and Paul wanted to go in, but the, Christ, the other Christians wouldn't let him. So in this uproar, there's finally somebody who stands up and says, look, we're in danger, all of us. We're in danger because of this uproar, and, and Rome's going to come in, and they're going to punish us for this if we, don't, if we don't do this right. And so things kind of calm down, but the gospel just kind of blossoms from there. In fact, it gets to the place where the text tells us that they, it's a really, uh, I don't know how, I I hate, the word's magical, though obviously magic isn't, uh, you know, something that's real, but it's a very superstitious kind of magical culture that is around Ephesus and so... As the gospel spreads, these people that are coming out of that superstitious background bring all these books of magic and everything, and they burn it, and it's a, it's a great sum of money. And So there's been a huge conflict, but a lot of success too. And then he starts chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to him, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. Now that's what we read right before we started the book of Romans. So you had the huge conflict, the uproar, it calmed down, he he encouraged the brethren, and then he starts journeying again, and this place where he ends up for three months is the city of Corinth. And in Corinth he writes the book of Romans. So now we continue what happens after that. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. Now, don't have a whole lot to say about these individuals, but I want to ask, why is it that Luke, as he's recording this book, why is it that you suppose that he is mentioning the fact that Paul is journeying to these places and he has all these people with him? By the way, who was the book of uh, Acts written to? Anybody remember that? There's two books of the Bible written to an individual, the same individual. There's other books written to individuals, but... Luke writes to the same individual twice, Theophilus, okay? This book is written to Theophilus, so in order for us to know why he lists these off, you have to figure out what would it have mattered to Theophilus or anybody else of that day and that time and that culture to be reading about this. Maybe they don't even know who these guys are because each one he's mentioned is from a different place, right? So why would he list all these names, do you suppose? Here's the answer. What's he doing? He's not just traveling. What's he doing? Well, he's doing that too. But why is he traveling is the question. That's the key right there. Along the journey, he's teaching and preaching and strengthening churches. But the reason he is journeying at this point is this collection for the saints in Jerusalem. That's what he's trying to carry. And if you remember, as that was being collected, one of the things that kept coming up is accountability, right? These people that I'm sending to you to collect this, they are dependable people. They have great reputation. There are others who can vouch for them. I'm going with them too. So there is accountability, and this money that you're giving is going to be taken care of, and it's going to accomplish what you have given it to accomplish. So now as Luke records this, he identifies specifically who these people are so that the readers, Theophilus or anybody else, will recognize that they well, they did it the right way. They're doing everything above board and the right way. Now keep reading. We'll be a little quick in the beginning because the latter part of the chapter I've got to spend more time on. Now that I've said that, I'm going to stop on the second word. But we. It's a pronoun, right? When would I use the word we? Got to be more specific than that. I mean, where I come from to say Y'all meant more than one, right? Huh? Yeah, it means more than one like that, somebody else, but it includes me, right? If I say we, that includes me, right? So this group that he's talking about that that Luke has listed off includes at least one other person that wasn't in that list, and that other person is Luke. So this is a portion of the journey. He wasn't with him on the whole journey, but this is a portion of the journey where Luke has joined them. Okay. Okay. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. What is that? Yeah, that's the Passover. So he he wants to be in places where he can impact Jew and Gentile. Remember in the book of Romans how he stressed how much he wanted his Jewish brethren, his family to, to see the gospel, obey the gospel, how much his heart's desire was for them to be saved. Remember that? So he's hanging around through this Passover because it's the opportunity to teach. But once it's over, well, time to journey. Uh, uh, Days of Unleavened Bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, that's different. That's different than the Days of Unleavened Bread, isn't it? What is it? It's the first day of the week when they are gathered together for the purpose of participating in the Lord's Supper. So Paul has journeyed specifically so he can be here to worship God with his brethren and partake of the Lord's Supper. On the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Okay, I want to stop there one second just to to highlight something. Uh, I'm not going to talk about long-winded preachers. Uh, that's not the point of that being recorded. What I do want to talk about is the, that what we just read was a summary. It's not a chronological thing. So it's not that we're reading that Paul came in and he started preaching, whenever he preachy, preached, and then he preached till midnight, and then the next things that we read happened. He gave a summary, and now he's going to back up and see what happened, some of which caused this lesson to go long, some of which caused him to uh, interrupt his lesson. So let's keep reading. He's going to end up preaching till midnight. Verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Why, why, why do we need to know there are a lot of lamps there? Yeah. What happens when, you know, you've had a meal? You're sitting around in an office that maybe the air conditioner's not up very high or down very low, I guess you'd say. So it's a little warm. You start to get sleepy, don't you? So they're in an upper room, and there's a lot of lamps, and those lamps produce heat, right? So it's a warm, and on top of that, everybody knows this one, it's a long sermon. Those are three things that will make you sleepy. It's evening, there's a good heat, and it's a long sermon, okay? Let's keep going. Verse 9. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. That tells me he was fighting it. You've never done that, have you? I've been up there preaching. And you've never had your head start to go like that and you wake up but eventually you just give up, right? Deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, that's what preachers do. We don't stop when you fall asleep. We just keep going. As he continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So, just set the stage. However long he's been preaching, it's evening. Uh, Probably it's evening because people had to work, right? And especially from a Jewish background, uh, well, what did they do on Saturday? They didn't work on Saturday, right? So their whole culture was built around this idea that the sabbath day which is saturday it means seven so the sabbath day was when they didn't work so all their life they've been working on the first day right and they rested on the seventh so in this culture they probably have worked so it's evening they've gone through their work for the day it's evening still the first day of the week there's nothing wrong with partaking of the lord's supper on evening is there doesn't say it's got to be at 10 o'clock on sunday morning right first day of the week so it's evening it's hot The sermon's going long, Eutychus falls asleep, and it cost him his life. That's what happens when you sleep in a preacher's sermon. Verse 10. That's a warning, yeah? That's a warning. Verse 10. But Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed and they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. Now, you know, the, the argument is, you know, that he fell out of the window and everybody thought he was dead. And so Paul went down there and he said, no, I can feel a pulse. He's alive. And so they just all went back up to the room and waited for him to revive himself. It's kind of a silly argument, isn't it? Because it wasn't Paul that said he was dead. It was God that said he was dead. Luke is recording by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Eutychus has fallen out of the window and he has died. Now, interestingly, when you connect back to what had happened in Ephesus before he ends up in this place on this journey, remember one of the things that happened was, I mean, people were just trying to get the scarf of Paul that they could touch so that people would be healed. There were a lot of miracles happened around Ephesus. So as Paul goes down here, he knows what to expect. He knows what God's going to (laughs) do. And so he just embraces this man and says, there's no reason for you guys to worry. And he doesn't, you fall out of a three-story window, even if you live, you're not going to get up and go up, up the stairs and have a meal, are you? I mean, you're going to be hurt, right? But he doesn't. That's why Luke records it this way. He just gets up, goes upstairs with everybody else, and eats. That means he really is alive. He's eating. He's eating. He really is alive, and he's well. It's like it didn't even happen. And he's a physician. Yeah. Yeah, if anybody would know, besides God, it'd be Luke, wouldn't it? Okay, so the guy's well. And and by the way, we don't even read about Luke treating him. Now that just, he's reminded me he's a physician, he doesn't even treat him, does he? Paul just embraces him. And they all go back upstairs and eat. No Evidently, no bro- he's walking, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, now verse thirteen. Oh wait, what's it mean? They were not a little comforted. That mean they were sad. No, that means this is not something that said. Whew, I'm glad we don't have to tell his family. Evidently, this is something where this guy means something to these people. They're a family. And so the loss of Eutychus is a major blow to them. And so they are, they are celebrating even the fact that Eutychus is, is safe and healthy and alive. Now verse 13. That's why I brought up the first time the chronological. Because I guess I could have highlighted that further. There are people that say, see what happened is, and they use our culture to do this. What happened is they gathered together for worship in the middle of the day and Paul had this extraordinarily long sermon and he quit preaching at midnight and then Eutychus fell out of the window and then they rescued him and then they went upstairs which means they predicted the Lord's Supper on Monday, not Sunday, doesn't it? But that's not what he said. He didn't give a chronological order. He gave a summary and then he said, now here's what happened in the middle of that time. So he stays, in fact he stays till the next morning. He stays and talks till the next morning. So he's there till Monday. That's when he's going to leave. But that's not when they are partaking of the supper. All right, verse 13. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So he's, he's wanting to keep teaching. I don't think he's <laughs> afraid of sailing. Uh, I don't think he's worried about the weather or whatever, he's just got something, we don't know what it is, but something he's wanting to do or somebody he's wanting to see, and so he puts everybody on the ship and they start journeying and he starts walking and they're going to meet up again. Fourteen, when he met us at Asos, he looked still with him, we took him on board and came to Mytilene, we sailed from there and the next day we came opposite Chios, the following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregolium, the next day we came to Miletus. Now, this is why it gets important. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Why is it significant? I mean, he goes to other places where there have been people. Why is it significant to avoid Ephesus? I mean, the people obviously knew him When he's preaching and Eutychus died, right? He didn't avoid them. Why Ephesus? Well, they did have that big conflict. He spent a long time there. He's there three years. When you've been somewhere like that three years, he knows what's going to happen when he shows up. It's not like they're going to say, well, Paul's in town, tell him I said hi, right? They've been to battle together. And so he knows if he goes to Ephesus, what's going to happen is he's going to want to see people. They're going to want to see him. They're going to want to spend time together. And the problem with that is not that he doesn't want to do any of that. The problem is he has a schedule. He wants to be in Jerusalem before Pentecost comes. Why? What happened in Acts chapter 2 when we read about Pentecost? How many people are there? Yeah, here's what we know. We don't know how many people are there, but we know the text tells us that there were Jews from all nations... And that there are 3,000 of them that obey the gospel. When you read that, I hope you don't think that there's a crowd of 4,000 and they just had a 75% conversion rate on Pentecost, whereas we don't do quite that well. God's always told us that it's going to be the lesser number of people who obey the gospel. That means that the crowd in Jerusalem was a whole lot more than 3,000, right? So all these Jews, according to the law, are going to have to be there, right? So Paul says, I've got to be there. I've got to be there for Pentecost when everybody's there because he's there to teach, isn't he? So I can't go to Ephesus because of what happens at Ephesus, even though that's what undoubtedly he wants to do, they, they matter to him. So undoubtedly he wants to see them. But if he does that, he doesn't get the chance to keep teaching, especially when all those Jews are in Jerusalem, right? So he keeps his schedule. But he does want to see them. So something happens. Let's see, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. Okay? We learned something about the church at Ephesus right there. It's a mature congregation, isn't it? I mean, if they have elders, it's not like this is a church that was just planted, right? There has to be some some time to develop the qualifications that are required. So some of that probably happened during the time that Paul spent his time in Ephesus. Certainly those people that were serving the eldership now were a part of what was happening then, even if that wasn't the established organization of that congregation while Paul was there. He calls them and says, you know what happened, which means they were a part of it, right? You know what happened in all that time that I was there. Keep reading. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. You remember back to when one of his own brethren was dragged into the courts in front of everybody? Paul wants to run in and rescue him, and they won't let him. Tears. They know what he's been like. They know why he's there. Verse 20. And how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So it's not just the physical love that he has, but obviously this is much deeper than that. This is spiritual connection. (laughs) They matter to him. And so he kept teaching. He gave them everything that they needed. Verse 21. Testifying to the Jews, also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing he's preached everywhere, isn't it? He has a consistent message. The reason they are who they are is because the message of the gospel was preached to them and they obeyed it. But the one who took it to them was Paul. So he's telling this elder, he's establishing a foundation with this eldership that you know it's not about me. I'm not important. I never made it about me. It was always about the gospel, right? So that's his foundation. Now keep reading. 22. See, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So he doesn't know what's going to happen. What he does know is two things. He's going to tell him in a minute. He's never going to see him again. So he knows that. He also knows well bad things are going to happen in Jerusalem. Now, though he doesn't know what, does he, why does he know why? Because the Holy Spirit told him when this all started. <laughs> Remember when, uh, when he's at three days praying and Ananias, he's, he's fasting and weeping. And Ananias shows up and says, God sent me to you. God sent me to you. You're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. God wanted me to tell you the things that you will suffer for his name. Well, it's worked that way, hasn't it? I mean, pretty much everywhere he's ever been. He's been persecuted, beaten, stoned, imprisoned. everywhere he goes right so he says I don't expect anything different in Jerusalem in fact one of the things we saw when he wrote the book to Romans that some of his family members had been converted right and they were in Rome now okay you think that makes it harder on Paul you know if they obey the gospel and the family in Jerusalem rejects him if he obeys the gospel and they didn't reject him what if he converts some of them is that going to make it better or harder harder right So he knows he's going back to trouble. All right, keep going. 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. He says, don't worry about it, though, because I'm not worried about it. And why am I not worried about it? It's all a part of running this race. I've got a journey, I've got a race I'm on, and I'm going to get to the end of the journey. And I'm going to do it successfully, and nobody's going to stop me from getting there. So he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I know it's going to be bad. I don't know how bad it's going to be, but I know it's going to be bad. And if it's the worst case scenario where they're going to arrest me and they're going to kill me, I still win because I still finish the race. And that's what he wrote, wasn't it? I'm already being poured out. I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me, and not to me only, but also unto all those who love his appearing. That's what he's, that's what he's living by. <laughs> okay, keep going. 25. Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So he knows he's not coming back, Right? doesn't know what's going to happen, but he knows he's not coming back. Therefore, okay, let's talk about that connecting word. You will see me no more, therefore. What does that mean? What would it mean to you? If you had this information, you're going to travel, you're with your family. You go to your family, you say, listen, I've got I to take this journey. I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I know. I'm not coming back. Now, what would the word therefore signify? Yeah, since I'm not going to come back. I'm going to give you all the information you need from me right now. Right? So they better pay attention. I'm not coming back. You're never going to see me again. So let me give you some words. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Where they end up is not Paul's fault, is it? He has done everything he can do to get them where they need to be. But there's one more thing that he wants to do. Keep reading. 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Who are those two people? Yourselves and the flock. Who is that? Yourselves is the elders. The flock is the church, right? Take heed to yourselves and all the flock, among which... The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. They are overseers. It's not their church. They are overseers, and they are among the flock. They're part of this congregation, and when he says here, the the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, does he mean that the Holy Spirit miraculously selected elders? That's a trick question, because I would say yes and no. I would say no, because, no, he didn't turn to Paul. The Holy Spirit didn't turn to Paul and say, select this guy and select this guy and select this guy. But what he did do is he miraculously inspired Paul to record the qualifications. And if he recorded the qualifications and somebody is selected to serve who meets the qualifications, who made them? Who chose them? God chose. This is the standard. If You're going to serve. You better be in that standard, Right. So they've got a job to do, and that job comes from the authority of the Holy Spirit. And that job is to care for the flock. Now here's why that's so important. Well, first off, because, well, God paid for it, right? It's not yours. God paid for it. You've just got a job to take care of it. 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also... From among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. I see two things there. One of them is the church is going to have people in it who are going to try to divide it. They're going to look like they're spiritual. They're going to look like they want what's best. But the bottom line is the devil is going to use them to devour. People are going to follow them. People are going to listen to them. And error is going to happen by people coming in. So the first thing is you've got to be paying attention so the wolf doesn't get in among the members. But the second thing is he can get in among you too. And who is that? The eldership. the eldership. You know, that's actually where, that's actually where the uh, digression away from the truth started. In the eldership. And what Paul says is you're going to, there's going to be people that are going to in among you. The eldership people are going to try to get others to follow after them it's going to be important to them it's about ego it's about pride and and we know now history tells us now that what ended up happening was the eldership became about importance and eventually one eldership started ruling over other elderships and one man started ruling over other over that other men in the eldership who ruled over other elderships who eventually became a pyramid Until we had one man who represented God to everybody else. Still exists today, doesn't it? That started in the eldership. Paul knew about it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the first century. Okay, I'm almost out of time, so we've got to keep going. 31. Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. So... You know, this is not just about the fact that he has had a job to do. The reason he has done this job is because they matter to him. So he says, because of the fact that you are the shepherds, because of the fact that you are among the flock overseeing it, you've got to pay attention. Who is going to be responsible? Well, let me just make it applicable today. If this creation goes off into error, who's responsible? The The eldership. Listen, there are a lot of preachers out there that are teaching error, okay? And we talk about the preachers because they're the public figure. And we identify this preacher teaches this, and that's error, and this preacher does that, and this error. But I'm telling you something. If we had elderships that were qualified to be elderships, those guys wouldn't have pulpits to preach in. So Paul says, listen, I have invested my tears into you. This is going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I'm pleading with you not to let it happen. Don't let it be you. Can you imagine being those men? I don't know how many there are. Let's say there's five. You remember the night of Jesus' betrayal when he's with his disciples in the upper room? He says, one of you is going to betray me. Not very many people in that room, are there? And they look around and say, it can't be me, right? It can't be me. But there was one, wasn't there? So as he says this, however many men are in this eldership, they've got to wonder, who's who's it going to be? they got to pay attention, don't they? Keep going. Verse 32. Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So he says, I've done everything I can do now. God's going to take care of you if you follow him. I have coveted no one's silver ...or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. So this is not about Paul again, right? He says, this is not about me. It's not about me wanting something from you. It's about the fact that I want you to be right with God. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. So he took care of others who traveled with him. I've shown you in every way, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. So he set an example... And, remember the words of the Lord, that Jesus, that he said it's more blessed to give than receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And then they wept freely, or that word could be translated much. They wept much and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, I highlighted that because I think that's human nature. You know, that's a funeral, right? He's not dying, but they're not going to see him again. So, for all intents and purposes, he's dying to them, isn't he? And so, this is kind of like their funeral with him. And so, certainly their emphasis is they're weeping over the fact that they're not going to see him anymore. I find that ironic because the message that he's trying to give them is this is not about me and it's not about... You know, I didn't try to be an ego and I didn't try to support myself from your benefit and all of that. This is about your relationship to God. And he just told them, I know that after I leave, error is going to enter into this church and it's even going to be in the eldership. That's what they ought to be sorrowing over, don't you think? Maybe the reason that they went off is because they sorrowed about the wrong thing you get to the book of revelation john is exiled on the isle of patmos there are seven letters that are written to the seven churches of asia minor that god dictates through john right or jesus dictates through john one is written to the church at ephesus and the accusation against them is they have left their first love they didn't pay attention they didn't pay it. He, he sits here with them and says, you're in trouble. I am telling you, you're in trouble. They're, does that sound like other preachers we've heard and prophets we heard throughout time? Like Joshua? Oh, I'm giving you this land. God's giving it to you, but you're in trouble. They didn't listen, did they? How about when the spies were sent into the land earlier than that? Got to have faith in God or you're in trouble. What happened? What about Jericho? When they said, don't, don't take anything or else you're in trouble. They listen. Start to see a pattern. Ephesus you're in trouble Paul says they didn't listen so by the time John writes at the end of the first century Jesus says you've already left that's not a lot of years between when Paul is here on this third missionary journey and John writes that letter they didn't pay attention all right let's close with a prayer father we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning we're so blessed by being able to study your word we pray father that we will be diligent we will be diligent as leaders of this congregation as servants in this congregation and as members of this congregation that we will be diligent to honor you at all times to make it about you and not about us to recognize that we have to depend upon you for strength help us always father to be your example forgive us where we fail you in christ's name amen